the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. The book of Luke is written so that we might know we have a reliable faith. God sent Jesus, the Messiah of the world, down to save us. Jesus called out many of the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, telling the people not to follow their hypocrisy. He taught the people many things through parables and teachings. The people began to doubt if Jesus was the Messiah. They wanted a strong king that would overthrow Roman rule. But this was not Jesus' goal. He healed a man by casting a demon out of him. The people marveled, and the religious elites hated him all the more. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 11, verse 24. When we look at this whole thing that Jesus is trying to do, trying to reach these Pharisees, it's easy to forget that a man's life was just changed. You know, that here's this guy who couldn't speak, very likely couldn't see from Matthew's account, and now he can. And so Jesus certainly didn't forget about that man. After dealing with these guys, he turns his focus back to where it should be, and he addresses where this man needs to go from here. For in verse 24, Jesus says, Now when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, I need to be done with you guys because this is the reality here. I've just set this man free, but he, he, he can't just go and enjoy life now. He says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he, the unclean spirit, not the man, he walks through dry places seeking rest. It's interesting here, the word dry places, it means ruins. The Old Testament frequently describes places that God has judged as the habitation of demons. The idea that Jesus is making, I don't know if that's really where demons dwell. I don't know even if that's what the prophets are trying to say. I think what the prophets are trying to say there is that there's no living people there. And, and that's the idea here. When a demon goes out, he has no home. He goes in places where people aren't, and so he finds no rest. Because that's where he wants to be. See, how can I, so let's go back, let's go back even further than just demons. Let's go back to Satan. When Satan rebelled against God, why did he do it? He wanted to be seen as God. He wanted to be worshiped as God. He wanted to be viewed as God. He wanted to be celebrated as God. He wanted the attention that God has. We see that in Isaiah 14 and, and Ezekiel, I want to say 32, but I might be wrong about that. No, Ezekiel 24, 23 or 24. And we see there that it gives us a picture of the fall, what he was thinking. His pride lifted him up. He wanted that attention, wanted that worship, wanted to be treated like God. And the assumption that, that would be right to make is that all those who went with him wanted the same thing. They want to be treated like God. They want to be worshipped as God. So what do they want? How do, how do they get that? How do they find that? Well, I believe wholeheartedly we see from Scripture that Satan interprets attention as worship. Remember that situation in the book of Acts where the girl who had the spirit of divination was following Paul and Barnabas around? And what were they saying? Hey, you need to listen to these guys because they show you a way to God. Now, she's a little off. Paul and Barnabas weren't preaching a way to God. They were preaching the way to God, but that's a whole different story. 
But it's funny, why would you think Paul would be annoyed by that? Like, you think good advertising, right? But Paul knew that there was a demon working here. And he knows what they want. They want attention. Like, they love it. They don't care how you give it to them. That's why when, and I don't mean to be critical here, but when I see churches are always talking about the devil, you know, and always rebuking the devil and rebuking Satan and binding Satan and whatever, I, I almost think he's like, oh, please, no, give me more. I think he loves the attention. I think he loves the spotlight. And so I, I'm not going to give it to him. I, I'm not going to give that spotlight to him. Being that they want that, how do they get that? Well, they're a spirit. They can't get it because they can't interact with our world unless... How? They dwell inside a body. And so by acting out or by causing illness or mental disorder or whatever it might be, they get all that attention. And I think they see that as worship. And so the demon, when he leaves, he goes into a place where no, he's not, he doesn't have a home anymore, no person to inhabit. And so he's seeking rest, but he finds none. So what does he do? He says, I'll return unto my house from where I came out. And when he comes... He finds it swept, it's cleaned out, it's garnished, decorated, beautified. Everything's great, but it's empty, right? It's swept, it's cleaned, it's decorated, but it's empty. And so then he goes and he takes to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and they live there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. What's the point? The point is, this guy who's just been set free, he can't just go and go, I can speak, I can see, and just go live his life. He needs to fill that empty space with the Lord or he'll be in a spiritually worse state even though he can speak and see. He needs to fill that place with the Lord. And I think this is a good lesson for us as believers too because many of us, we even came to Christ because we were in a mess, right? We, our lives were a wreck and we cry out to God for mercy and forgiveness and we came to him. And many times we may find ourselves in a bad spot as Christians and so we cry out to God and he rescues us. Listen, that's the right thing to do. If you're in trouble, the best thing to do is to cry out to God. When you're Jonah and you're in the belly of a whale, and there's no time to sit there and go, well, I'm sure God's probably done with me. No, that's the time to go, God, help God help because he hears and he's merciful. It's the right thing to do. But I don't think we should ever stop there. With the same passion that I reached out to God for help in my trouble, I need to cling to him and grow. And I ask you that this morning. Are you clinging to him and growing? And are you clinging to him and growing? I think that's the message to this man and the message to us. As you can imagine, this is quite the powerful moment. I mean, people are saying, this has got to be the son of David, got to be the Messiah, got to be the son of David. And so, you know, people are starting to, you know, clamor. He's put the Pharisees in their place again. They're thinking, this is it. This is it, man. He's going to take charge. He's going to take control. And so one lady voices all the, what everybody's thinking. And so it says in verse 27, it came to pass as he spoke these things, a certain woman of the company, doesn't mean she was with Jesus, means she was just part of the crowd. She lifted up her voice. She cried out with a loud voice and said unto him, blessed be the womb that bare you and the paps which you have sucked. The first attempt at Mary worship. Let's take the focus off Jesus and worship mom. Jesus' response, he nixes that immediately. But he said, King James says, yea, rather, which can be confusing. Yea, rather is actually one word in the Greek, and it just means no, on the contrary. <laughs> Not blessed is the woman, you know, blessed is the one who gave birth to me and who nursed me. Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Why does Jesus do that? I already know, mom's nearby. We know from Matthew chapter 12 that as Jesus is going through this whole speech, that when it's done, he starts teaching the people again just God's word. And mom and brothers are thinking, he's lost his mind. He's going to get himself killed. We need to rescue him. And so they come knocking on the door saying, hey, tell Jesus we need a word with him. 
And so they say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And what does Jesus say? He goes, who are my brother, mother and my brothers and my sisters? He goes, those who hear the word of God and do it. Same thing he says here. So mom's actually out there somewhere nearby, somewhere nearby. So this, you know, maybe a gal saw her and she goes, oh, blessed are you who gave birth to Jesus and nursed him, you know? And, and Jesus is like, uh-uh, man, she doesn't even believe me now. She's not, she's not following me now. No, she's not the one who's blessed. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and obey it. Whew. What's Jesus doing here? I think this is the final answer to the accusation that group number one brought. See, group number one said, oh, he cast out demons by, by Beelzebub. And, and Jesus basically tells them, that's, that's absurd. That is absurd. You're in a wrong place. Where do you need to get to? You need to hear the word of God and you need to keep it. See, Jesus had come preaching God's truth, but because it clashed with the Pharisees' kingdom, they rejected it instead of obeying it. And as a result, they were the opposite of blessed. They were blind. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be blind. I want to be blessed, don't you? I want to be blessed. Too often I see Christians struggle because they ignore a clear biblical teaching on Christian doctrine or, or what the Bible says about forgiveness or what the Bible says about marriage or what the Bible says about life priorities. They try everything under the sun to fix that area of their life except deal with the area of truth they've rejected. And can I tell you this morning, that is futile. It will never work. You know, I see people all the time, they, 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 you even hear me preaching to going, that ain't right. I just, I'm not receiving that, Pastor Will. And, and then, but you're gonna go back and you go right back to your struggles. And, and, and I hate to put it that way, but my thought is, Will you just look and see the struggles and go, something's not right? <laughs> and then deal with that thing that the Lord's been trying to deal with you for a while. I have seen beautiful Christian lives derailed because there's someone that they refuse to forgive or there's something they refuse to do in their marriage that the Bible says or there's a, a, a Christian doctrine they just refuse to accept because it clashes with their upbringing or clashes with their idea of God or whatever it might be or clashes with what they want to do in life. You know, or they refuse to obey God in an area of, of, uh, of right or wrong because you know, they just want this and they'll find any way to justify it. If you do that, you will struggle. So why not stop struggling? <laughs> you know, if you're in that boat this morning, I think Jesus says it's time for an eye check. You know, in Revelation chapter three, he told the church of Laodicea that. In chapter three, verses 17 through 20 of the book of Revelation, Jesus speaking to them, he said to them, because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and you do not realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel you. Jesus says, because you say you got everything, but really this is your condition, this is my counsel to you, to buy from me gold tried in the fire that you might be rich and white raiment that you might be clothed that the shame of your nakedness would not be appearing to everybody. And you should anoint your eyes with eye soft. It's like a healing medicine for your eyes so that you can see. What is he saying? You need to repent. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The Lord's saying, I've been knocking on your heart for a while about this issue and you just have hardened your heart and going, I want to talk about it, God. That's condemnation. I I know I'm free in Christ to do this. And then you blunder in. And the Lord's just going, 
as many as I love, I rebuke. I'm not doing this because I hate you. I'm doing it because I love you. Like that word there, that's a heavy word. Blessed is the mother. And he's going, no, she's not. (laughs) I mean, he's being much nicer than I am, but no. The Lord, he loved these guys. He's hitting them heavy, but he loves them. As many as I love, I rebuke. So what's the solution? Be zealous, therefore. They were passionate wanting to kill him. What they need to do is repent, turn around and be passionate for being yielded to God. And, and that's the thing. If, if, right now, maybe you're passionate about being stubborn and doing that thing you want to do or holding on to some idea that's wrong. Repent and be zealous in the other direction. Zealous and trust in the Lord. And as you do so, I promise you, the Lord, he'll work change in your life. And you'll be blessed as you hear it, not just hear his word, but you hear it and you keep it. Don't harden your heart to his rebuke. You know, humble yourself and trust that his ways and his thoughts, they truly are better than your ways and your thoughts. Many people were already thinking with this lady voice, Jesus, gotta be the Messiah. So as the other group's going, well, prove it, show us a sign, because they're tempting him. I imagine other people took it up, yes, show us a sign, show us a sign. And so the people gather around thick, verse 29. And when the people were gathered thick together, now Jesus, he addresses group number two. And he says, this is an evil generation. It's what you want to do when everyone wants to make you king. Like everyone's, uh, what do we, uh, let's come forward, you know, let's rush the altar, God's on the move. And you go, you're all a bunch of wicked people. Stay in your seats. <laughs> Not usually how you'd respond to popular reaction. But Jesus, again, he's trying to reach them. Why are they an evil generation? He says, because they, they seek a sign. They demand proof of who I am when it's obvious already who I am. So the Lord says that's evil to do that. He says, there's only one miracle that will be given them. There shall no sign be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah the prophet. What's the sign of Jonah the prophet? I mean, really think about it for just a moment. Like what proof did Jonah give to the people of Nineveh that they should believe him? This is how it worked. Jonah gets spit out of the whale. He says, I'll I'll obey you, Lord. He says, okay, go to Nineveh. And God tells him, tell him I love him. Tell him I want to forgive him. Tell him I need to repent. And if they do, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive. Great message, right? And what does Jonah do? Comes in all gnarly into town. Bible says, don't even go all the way to the middle of town. It's a three-day journey. He only goes one journey in, one day in. This is far enough in this filth. And he gets up and he goes, 40 days and judgment's coming. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes and he sits on a hill to watch him burn. <laughs> Honest truth. I mean, not exactly the most inspiring message. You know, he doesn't come and do miracles and heal people or anything that people go, hey, I think this guy might be from God. I mean, horrible sermon short sermon, no love, no grace. And the people repent. Why? Somehow, some way, they got wind that he had been in the belly of the whale and lived. I don't know. Maybe they did get wind. I don't know. (laughs) But whatever it was, somehow they knew that and they listened to the message. Jesus frequently used the comparison of that to his resurrection to say that would be the proof of who he was. As Jonah was, he used it in other places. Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man shall be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Be in the grave for three days and three nights, and then rise again. So just as Jonah survived something that no one should survive, Jesus overcame death. And that would be the only proof that would be given. If you think, well, well, that's kind of stingy. But remember, Jesus daily did so many things, other things to prove who he was. So that's why they're an evil generation. By asking for a sign in order to catch him in a mistake... They were choosing, willingly choosing to be blind instead of believe the truth that was in front of their eyes every single day. And as such, they will experience great judgment from God. Look at verse 31. 
He says, the queen of the south, they sh- she shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and she'll condemn them. Why? For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now you can read that story in 1 Kings chapter 10. And in 1 Kings chapter 10, we see at the beginning that she's a doubter. Word comes of how God's blessed Solomon, of how God, the Bible says the name of the Lord, the reputation of the Lord is what she heard about. She heard about God's character and God's blessings on Solomon and upon Israel. And she thought, no way, no way. I am the highest ruler in my land. I know how this, these shenanigans work. I know how temples and priests and gods do their business. I know how they exploit people. No, 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 no. I don't believe it. She was a doubter. As she came up, the Bible says, with hard questions for Solomon. She drilled him about right and wrong, about life, about God, about what he was like. And after that whole experience of seeing God's blessing on Solomon's life and hearing his wisdom, her conclusion is found in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 9. And I love it. She says this. She says, blessed be Solomon, but then she says, blessed, verse 9, be the Lord your God, which delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. That's a lot of truth there to learn about our God in one visit. This doubting woman came to believe that God was love and that his love never ended and that he did, he was a good God and that he had blessed the people of Israel. She came to that just from one excursion to hang out with Solomon for a bit. If she repented, if she believed in the Lord from that small experience, Jesus says, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. I've been giving you God's love, God's truth, God's grace, God's mercy, God's power, God's healing, all this stuff since he started his ministry two and a half years ago. So if she believed in that day when you stand before the Lord in judgment, she's gonna stand up and go, what was your excuse? You had way more truth than I did, way more access to God than I did. Same thing for Nineveh. The men of Nineveh, they shall rise up in the judgment of this generation and shall condemn it. Why? For they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. I don't think you have to do much to be greater than Jonah. You know, 40 days in judgment, I'm out. And yet, at that small sample of God's truth, they repented. What's your excuse, they're gonna say? They're gonna rise up and condemn that generation because they had Jesus in their midst. That's a horrible situation for the nation of Israel to be in, isn't it? And so how do they fix that? You know, their eyes have been checked and they've been found to be in bad shape. Now they need a solution. So Jesus explains the solution by giving an illustration. Verse 33, he says, listen, no man, when he has lighted a candle, puts it in a secret place, he doesn't put it in a room nobody goes into. Neither does he put it under a basket and go, okay, guys, I think we can see better now. No, he puts it on a candlestick so everyone who comes in can see the light and then move about. Well, he explains the light of the body is the eye. Our eye, light comes in and the brain translates it into what we see. And then therefore I know there's a bunch of steps here and I need to be careful as I walk down. So if my eye is single, the word single means healthy. If my eye is healthy, then the brain could translate everything properly and tell the body what I need to do. On the other hand, if your eye is evil, if it's sick, diseased, then your body is also full of darkness. You can't trust your eye to navigate where you're going. You have to rely on your other senses. What's Jesus's point? I don't think Jesus is just giving us medical advice to take care of our eyes. The phrase, if your eye is evil, is actually a Hebrew idiom for jealousy. Remember the parable Jesus told and he said about the the workers? He said, is your eye evil because I'm generous? Remember the workers who came in at the beginning of the day? They were upset because they got the same pay as those who came in only an hour before closing time. 
And he goes, are you jealous? That's that, he uses that phrase, is your eye evil because I'm good? I think Jesus, his point is this. See, the religious leader's problem is that they were jealous of Jesus' influence. That was their blind spot. So what does this generation need to do? Deal with that. Repent of their jealousy so they can really hear what Jesus is saying instead of seeing him as their enemy. So they can really embrace God's kingdom instead of convince themselves they already have. So he says, verse 35, 36, here's the solution. Take heed, therefore, consider this, think about this, beware that the light which is in you be not darkness. Because if your whole body be full of light and having no part dark, then the whole of you shall be full of light as when a bright shining of a candle does give you light. Right now, you cannot see clearly, you cannot assess me clearly because you're jealous. Repent of that. Let the light of God's word start to come in. Let the truth start to come in. See, the problem is you've taken in a bunch of light. See, these religious leaders, they, were, they had enough education, enough learning, enough scripture that they were able to justify their behavior. And I ask you as we close this morning, does that describe your Christianity? Do you know enough truth, know enough about the Bible, know enough about Christianity that you can justify your behavior that's wrong? Are you willingly blind to a clear truth because you can make some obscure scriptural argument that says you're just fine? Listen, if you're, many other areas of your Christianity are okay, but you're refusing to forgive somebody, you're refusing to love somebody, you're, or you're refusing to obey God in some day, or you're holding on to some false doctrine, it's going to affect everything else you do. You're going to be stubbing your toes on things all the time. So instead, do what Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, repent. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I'm standing at the door, and I promise you, if you open up, you stop being stubborn, I'll come in, and we'll dine together. We'll work through this, and I will empower you to move in the right direction. Amen? What I love about this whole scenario here is the worship band comes up. These guys are trying to kill Jesus, right? I mean, they want to kill him, but Jesus is still trying to reach him, isn't he? He's still trying to reason with him, still trying to reach him. That's God's amazing love for you and me. He doesn't love us any differently. So won't you trust him? Won't you let go of whatever it is that you're justifying? Let's all stand. Lord, I know if no one else here has done this, I know I've done that. Or I've justified behavior. Thought I was righteous, thought I had good reason for my wrong behavior. Thought I was even within my scriptural rights. And then we read in your word that it says you laid down all your rights to rescue us. And then your servant Paul said, let that mind be in you, the same one you had. And so Lord, this morning as we have examined your word and you've checked our eyes, or maybe you've shown us some blind spots. Maybe even as you were trying to show us those blind spots, our hearts got hard. So Lord, we don't want to harden our hearts now. We want to be zealous and repent and give you those areas. To not be stubborn, Lord, like the mule. To be like your servant, those you can just guide with your eye, that we're right in tune with you and following your lead, knowing that you love us. You love us amazingly and you're always for our good. So Lord, we give ourselves to you. We give those areas that we've been stubborn with you about. We repent. And we ask now that you fill us with your spirit so we can walk in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we sing, if you don't know the Lord today, that's where the stubbornness needs to stop the first step. 
We stop justifying yourself, saying, I am a good person. I do good things. I, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm better than other people. And recognizing, oh, no, I'm not a good person. Lord, I have sinned against you. I've done my own thing. But I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and my sins. And I ask that you forgive me. I turn from my way of doing life, and I want to repent and live your way. God's promise is the moment you do that, he'll wash away all your sin and make you his child. So as we sing, make that your prayer if you don't know the Lord. And at the end, we'll all be family. No one is ever too far gone for God to save. God desires for us to come humbly into his presence on his terms, but that should never hinder us from coming to him. Jesus paved the way for us to have access to God's throne room. We enter in by faith, not by any good we've done. We come solely on the basis of God's goodness. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.